0: See that logo up there? See those little wavy things above the sail? What is that? That little wavy stuff. The wind. And those blue, wavy things below the boat. what's that? The waves. It looks so idyllic. It's uh, yeah, water. Yeah. It's such a lovely scene. When I get home to Winston-Salem later this week, I could use a little help. I've got four big pine trees that fell in our yard. Just missed our house. We were gone last week, and um, I I I got a lot of work. I got my chainsaw yesterday serviced. So anybody wants to show up Thursday, come on over. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Just jump on a bus and head my way. I came down because a straight-line storm came through 10 days ago, central North Carolina, and wrecked havoc. You, you know about wind here, right? <laughs> I don't need to tell you in Missouri about tornadoes and seeking shelter, right, when the wind gets up you ever been scared to death by wind? Sure. Jesus has a way of dealing with the wind that is different than anybody else in the Bible. And it's not just interesting, it's very important for you. So as we read this text together, it's from Matthew 14 actually, not what i, I changed my mind on the text. So uh, it's not what's listed in the Board of Service, and you'll see it here in a moment. I want you to listen for uh, all the ways that the wind plays into this story. And I tell you, just out of respect for Scripture, would you stand as I read this? Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Interesting. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for, for the wind was against them. Hmm. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, relax, take it easy. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come on. And so Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and called him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God bless our hearing and our understanding these words from his word. Amen. You can be seen. What terrorizes everyone else energizes Jesus. Oh, those, those waves and that wind. Not just in this story, but over in Mark 4 and 6 and John 6 and Matthew 8, I think. Are various stories about the disciples in a boat. Storm comes up. Jesus, in one story, is asleep on the boat. Another one, he's on the shore. He walks out. But in every case, the disciples are cowards. (laughs) They're scared to death. They're crying. They're begging, Oh God, help us, help us. We're drowning. Don't you care about us? Why are you sleeping? And in every case, Jesus essentially walks out and says, This is nothing. This is just a storm. This is just wind and waves. I got this. In fact, at the end of the story in Mark 4, when he comes awake and he says, Okay, peace be still. And immediately, and the Greek says, immediately the ocean was as flat as a lake they go, the disciple goes, who is this guy? Even the wind and the sea obeys him. It's like, that's the ultimate. This is the most impressive thing he's done. Who is this guy? Part of what Jesus is trying to teach them and you and me uh, is a lot more than just oceanography and climatology. (laughs) It's, it's something about life. You'll remember, right, that the ocean, for the first century Christians, uh, the ocean was not the idyllic vacation spot that everyone went to on spring break. All right? The ocean was that foreboding, scary place. The ocean was where those storms blew in unannounced. There wasn't a weather channel, right? There was no radar, And the ocean was the place from whence came the worst possible devastation. Or the ocean was the place to which we sent our husbands, sons, daughters, wives, families, and they never came back. When they drew maps, what did they depict out in the ocean? Monsters. Not because they'd actually seen them, they just imagined them. They just assumed that something had to be out there causing all this bad stuff that came off the water. It all sets up a a very distinct contrast for Jesus. The ocean, the wind, the waves are under his command. Do Do you hear how good that news is? Whatever your windstorm, whatever storm is about to blow through your life, or you're in the middle of this morning, some of you are, I know. My family's in the middle of a storm this week. Can't tell you about it, but I'm telling you, the storm is blowing through our family. He is master of that storm. Sometimes we don't know it until we're on the other side. We've washed up on the shore, figure out, hey, he was with me the whole way. But he is. And he's telling the disciples something that is going to be very important for you on your journey into this sailboat experience. I got this. You're not alone. We can do this. But you can't do it by yourself. The wind was against them. Hmm. And it's when Peter notices the wind that he begins to sink. The wind is against you. You do know that, right? Does anybody need me to document for you again how many ways the winds of culture are against you? If you're a student in high school, middle school. Do, I, do we need to talk about how hard it is to be a Christ follower in that culture? In a university setting? in your work setting, you do know the winds are against you. you. You do know, right, that when you walk out of this place today, it may be calm out there, but the, wind, the winds are against you. And headwinds are an opportunity, Jesus is saying. The resistance, the, the headwinds are an opportunity for you to discover something you don't discover on a perfectly clear, lovely day like these disciples discovered. What he was trying to teach them was that this little squall that he silenced was nothing compared to the kind of storms they would eventually be able to conquer. And sure enough, they went from being this cowardly band of cowardly lions, huddled, scared to death, to being on the other side of resurrection. That's what did it for him, by the way. To see that the biggest storm of all, death, that he conquered that storm. When he did that, it it emboldened them to stand up and say, "Uh, we can do anything through Christ who strengthens us. And suddenly they, they began to conquer storms that made this look like nothing. They turned the world upside down, people said about them. Because what they learned in this story and others like it was, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. They too would walk on water in more ways than they could imagine. Part of what I've sadly come to observe about congregations, both as a pastor for, and now working with churches for 40 years, is, um, man, we have domesticated and watered down and tamed this kind of fierce gospel and made it a lapdog dog. And isn't it just so easy? And we've lost something of the dynamic, adventuresome spirit that Jesus had in mind for us. And I understand it. It's very easy. It's very hard uh, to live constantly in, in the middle of a storm. But truth is, that's where you live. Sorry, that's, that's life, isn't it, for most of us? Something's always moving. Something's always shifting and changing. And the fantasy of someday uh, our ship will come in and we'll just we'll win the lottery or something and it's all going to be okay. It's just a fantasy. This is life, and so now this gospel begins to make even more sense. How does the church resemble more the Acts two disciples and less the Matthew fourteen disciples? My fear for you quite honestly, is that you'll remain a Matthew 14 church. Because that's where I live most of the time. A little afraid, a little nervous, maybe a lot of afraid and a lot of nervous. And how do I how do I move from Matthew 14 to Acts 2? How do you do that? John Gray has written a wonderful book called Sailboat Church. It might as well have been written for us, Doyle. It's just so perfect for what we've been doing here. In which she says... Uh, in the time of Jesus, there were two ways of getting around on water. One was a rowboat. Anybody know what a rowboat is? Right. Grab an oar, everybody start pulling. There you go, you got it. I just keep doing that for about 27 hours, and we'll, get, we'll go. You know, a rowboat gets you somewhere slowly, carefully, not very far, usually, unless you're Vikings. I don't see any Vikings in the room today. So rowboats tend to be more human power. The other way that people got around on water was sailboats. Sails, you know, where the sail is filled with the wind and pulls you across the sea. And you go amazing distances in a sailboat. Gray says, congregations have to choose which of those two metaphors fit them. Rowboat church, people think something like this. All right, we've got a job. Save the world. Everybody get busy. Let's go. Work, work. What are you doing sitting in here? You should be working somewhere. Grab an oar and start pulling. Start doing something. It's all up to us. It's up to us. Give money. Show up and help stuff. Do things. Pitch in. Everybody row, row, row your boat. Yeah, that's church for a lot of people. And for many people, it's just duty. i got to do my part to do my duty. And it gets old and tiresome. And actually, in the end, you don't go very far. The other option, she says, is sailboat church. Which says not row your way. It's not about human power, by the way. Parker Palmer says that kind of work is almost a a kind of... uh, Practical atheism, where we sort of tip our hat to God, say, yes, we're here, we got crosses, but really, this church runs on us. It's up to us, right? It's up to you. It's up to me. In lieu of that, could you think about a sailboat church, where you, you hoist the sails, and you wait for the power to come from the wind? You know what the wind represents, right, in Scripture. The Holy Spirit. You wait for God to show up and to carry you into the future. By the way, this works for your life, individually, as well as our life as a church. Is life duty, got to, have to, ought to, or is life hoist the cell and see where God will take you? Interesting. Interesting. Because God's Spirit may take us places we didn't plan to go. I, I had lunch a couple weeks ago with Henry Blackaby's son. Blackaby was a, is a Southern Baptist guy that wrote Experiencing God. Remember that from the, the 90s? And he taught us this idea of find where God is at work and join God there. Versus go create some spiritual activity that makes it look like God's showing up. And I told him, uh, your dad's uh, stuff just changed my life because I quit having to try so hard to create ministry. I just began to look for where is God moving in a city or in our community or in our church and let's just fan those flames. That's what Sailboat Church begins to do. And Jones says, congregations who do that Uh, Focus not so much on our circumstances, but on our opportunities. What's out there? You've heard just a taste already, and you'll hear more in a a few moments downstairs about some of the opportunities. But like good sailors, our job now is to begin to think well, how do we trim ourselves? That's good sailor talk. I don't really know what it means, but it sounds good. What it means is, how do you angle your boat, your ship, so that you maximize the power of the wind to carry you forward? I was talking to a sailor about this stuff because I wanted to actually know a little more about sailing. I said, so what happens when the wind is right in your face? He said, that's not a problem. You you do a thing called tacking. You know what tacking is? Yeah, well, tack well, thank you for not knowing, because I didn't. So tacking is when you angle, you use the wind, even if it's in your face, you use the wind to move you here and then here, and in effect, you zigzag your way to your destination. In fact, he said, sailors despise having a tailwind. That's the worst kind of wind. What you want is an angle wind, so you catch the full effect of the wind in yourselves, and it speeds you along your way. So even resistance, when the wind is against you, it's really not. You can tack your way into the future as a church. Lots of lessons here for us. One of the things Joan says about sailboat churches is that it's really hard to move from being a rowboat church to being a sailboat church. It was difficult for these disciples to go from being afraid of the storms to being bold and on fire with the Spirit. But they did it. And the same things that they did, you're going to need to do in the next few days, by the way. Here you go. Number one, you're going to need to learn to pray like you've never prayed before. Because sailors understand this isn't up to us. It's up to us listening to and paying attention to and discerning God's leadership. So one of the things that uh, we're going to learn over the next few weeks and months is how to pray. Uh, Sailboat churches live between these two kind of spiritual realities. From John 15, Jesus saying to his disciples when he's talking about um, being a part of the, the vine, the branches, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing apart from me you can do nothing which is hard for us to hear because we like to do something and you guys are pretty good at doing stuff right you're very impressive it's a beautiful you've done a lot of stuff here but Scripture's clear and the understanding is profound that apart from him all of our activity is just activity and biblically speaking, it's going to eventually be thrown on a fire and burned. If it's not him bringing the kingdom to bear through us. So it's this idea, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the other side of that equation is from Gabriel's conversation with Mary when she finds out she's going to have a baby. With God, all things are possible. God can do anything. Okay? Apart from me, you can do nothing. With God, all things are possible. We can't do anything, God can do everything. Do you understand how those two have to be in tension with one another? We can't do anything, God can do everything. Say it with me. We can't do anything, God can do everything. How about making it more personal? I can't do anything. God can do everything. Do you really believe that? Yeah. Hmm. Most days I do. <laughs> some days I wonder. Because I really think I can do some stuff. I'm pretty good at what I do. I can do this. We can do this. No, we can't. We, we cannot bring the kingdom to Jefferson City like it is in heaven without God. So on this journey, one of the things you begin to pray early on is this prayer of surrender. Oh God, we can't do anything. You can do everything. It's humbling and exciting. But it's first humbling. And the great churches I know in this day and age are the churches that have been humbled and who pray the prayer, oh God, not our will, but thine be done. We can't do anything, you can do everything, now show us the way. First thing you got to do to become a sailboat church is rediscover the power of prayer. Second thing is to acknowledge in a way that you've probably not acknowledged before, we've got to make friends with the Holy Spirit. <sighs> We Baptists are a little nervous about the Holy Spirit, a little ambivalent. I mean, we like the idea of a Spirit-filled worship service, thank you for that, and singing, but just a little too much stuff, and we get, we get anxious, right? We're, we're more controlled and charged, formal, uh, we like things decently and in order. And the notion of letting the Spirit run, hmm. That's a little frightening. For most of us, it feels a bit like we're going to tip over. Anybody been sailing and tipped over? Just a little sunfish? Yeah. I heard a a sailor, an old sailor and a young sailor. The young sailor said, yes, I'm a sailor. I've never tipped over in my sailboat. The old sailor said, son, you've never sailed. If you don't understand that, you're not going to understand what's about to happen in your church. You better get ready. So when soon the Holy Spirit shows up, all the orderly, safe, controlled tendencies of the disciples and of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is me and you, gets blown apart by the wind of the Spirit. The Spirit starts moving and working in people's lives and amazing stuff starts happening. Now be careful, because if you go there, it's going to happen. And it's going to make you uncomfortable. All right? Everybody okay with that? It's going to happen. Because whenever the Spirit shows up, human control begins to diminish, and we have to get comfortable with a bit of the chaos of the Spirit that's coming. Third thing you're going to have to do It's what the disciples had to learn to do. is to be obedient. To be obedient. There is what I call a a relentless alignment season for a church. Once you've identified the end in mind, where you think God is calling you. Now everything has to begin to align gradually, but relentlessly with that vision of the future. It's called obedience. And it means that your agenda can't be the agenda. There is a captain of this sailboat, and it's not you. And it's not him. Right? It's not, who, who is the captain? Thank you. Yeah, let's remember that. It's his church. This isn't your church. This isn't your church. This is where you go to church. You're a part of this church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. He is the captain of this boat. He is the one who's running us up. It is his mission that we're on. He's the one who chooses the agenda, not me and not you. Part of what it means to launch out in faith is to launch out saying, I don't really know where this is going, but we believe God is calling us. We will follow him. It's what the disciples had to do. Leave that job, leave that family, leave all the security, what Abraham had to do? Follow me. That's the call of Christ always to his church. Follow me. Be obedient. Lastly, what it's going to mean for you. Sorry. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's going to mean there are going to be some days where this is hard. This is not easy. Sailboat life is not idyllic No worry life. In fact, it's tough life. You know, there's not a third option here. Where's the cruise boat option? I want to go on a cruise with Jesus. I'm sorry, that's not one of them. The rowboat, the sailboat, there's no cruise boat church. A lot of people would like that. Wouldn't it be nice? Been on a cruise lately? Pretty, Pretty good deal, isn't it? Kind of get whatever you want whenever you want it. And I swear, people think that's what church is supposed to do for them. Sailboat Church is actually a place where everybody has a job. I was a youth minister years ago, and a guy in my church said, Bill, I want you to come with me this afternoon. We're going to go race sailboats on Old Hickory Lake in Nashville, Tennessee. All right? Sounds like fun? He said, wear comfortable clothes. (laughs) I should have known then. I go out. He's got a San Juan 21. A San Juan 21. It's a 21 foot sailboat. About from me to that first pew there, and I'm the crew. <laughs> There's no team. It's me. And he's in the back running the rudder, whatever that thing is back there. And he's barking orders at me for the next four hours. I I ran laps around that boat. Whatever that thing was, I just all I know is when I came home that night. My wife looked at me and said, what have you been doing? I was beat red. I'd lost 12 pounds. (laughs) And I went to bed at 8.30 and slept for 13 hours. I was exhausted. Sailing is work. It was great fun. We won the race. We went miles down that lake and back. We tacked back and forth all over that place. I worked my fanny off that day. I never had so much fun in my life. It was hard. I just described your church. It's going to cost you something. This is not a cruise liner. This is a sailboat. This is people who are coming together to tame the wild sea. When we allow God to call us away from the oars and began to think, Horizons. Oh man, great stuff can happen. He begins to inhabit our imagination. Good sailors have an active imagination. They can see over the horizon, if you will. They trust the stars. They they look out and they go places you could never have gone in a little rowboat along the shore. A, A pastor was visiting as a guest in a church in Kansas. And over the evening meal with the host pastor, they had a conversation about their children. And the guy said, Dad, I've got two sons, grew up here in Kansas. One of them's in the Navy. And one of them builds sailboats down in Corpus Christi, Texas. And he said, well, how did two farm boys from Kansas end up in love with the ocean? And the old guy said, well, I don't know. I don't know. They both just love the ocean. So that night he spent the night at, at his house, and he actually slept in the bedroom where these boys had grown up as teenagers. And he laid down in bed, and as he laid down in bed, he looked across the bedroom at the opposite wall of the bed, and he said, mystery solved. Because there on the wall was a painting about two by three feet of a three-masted schooner from the 19th century, cutting through ocean waves with the wind flying and spray everywhere and guys leaning out and just the most exciting adventuresome kind of painting you can imagine. He said, every night before they went to sleep, that was, that's what they saw. That's what they dreamed about. No wonder they're, they're in the Navy and they're building sailboats for a living. It's what the disciples discovered here in Matthew and stories to come, that there's a horizon out there that is more than they could ever imagine. I hope that happens for you. What it means is dreaming a bigger dream than you've ever dreamed. It's actually believing some of the things that were said earlier, that God cares about this city and wants you to as well, not just about you. It means looking at this life as an adventure. It means believing there's more to this than what we can see over the horizon. There's more to life out there than we know. I love the old poem by Sir Francis Drake, supposedly, written in the 16th century. My son in law and daughter have a house on the beach in Connecticut. They're Yankees. (laughs) How that happened. They built this house and uh, my housewarming gift to them was to take the poem I'm about to read you and have it printed and framed and it's on the wall as you walk in the place. My son-in-law is a big sailor, nautical guy. Do you know this poem from 1587? Anybody remember that? It is for me a statement about what it means to be the church. And I actually think what it means to be a Christ follower. By the way, as you leave today, you'll see a piece of paper that looks like that. It's your copy of this poem. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we sailed Too close to shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. We shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push back the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. And this we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. More than a prayer on a page, I hope it becomes a prayer of your heart. Because everyone in this room is too close to shore. You're just a rowboat. God's got in mind for you a sailboat. He's got big dreams for your life. He's waiting for you to say, I'm in. I'll step out. Actually, I'm out. I'm I'm out of the boat. I'll step out and I'll see where it takes us. And as long as you don't notice the storm, he's got you. And even when you do, he catches you. Who is this guy that even the, the wind and the waves obey his command? He's Jesus Christ. Remember, we can do nothing. But he can do everything. When the wind's against you, when you notice the wind, you can do nothing. He can do everything. Let's pray together. Oh God, there are people in this room today who are so tired of rowing, trying to be the person you want them to be, help us to quit trying. To let your spirit fill us and move us into the future you have for us. Help us to surrender to something bigger than us. To accept your love and your grace and your dream for our life. And as a church, O oh God, would you take our sails and fill them with the wind of your spirit. Forgive us for warning that cruise liner. <laughs> and Be patient with us as we adapt now to being on sailboat with you. Take us into the future. You have dreamed for us. In the name of Christ our Savior we pray. Amen.